Supervised Leadership Season 4, Episode 2, and we are so happy to be back. (laughs) We are. We wanted that episode from Joe to go, our Season 4 opener, to go viral. And our goal is to make sure that that is our highest ranked and most listened to episode yet. So if you haven't done that, go ahead and do that. Because as you know, in 2022, Kate, we were one of the top 10 education podcasts uh, on Spotify. I I believe it'll be for, or was that 2023? What year is it? It's 2023. Right. Right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So we want that for 2023 as well. What are we drinking today? We're drinking Prosecco. We love Prosecco. <laughs> what a shock. Yeah. Everybody should know that that's pretty standard. I know. Will we switch it up? Because I think that people were really liking some of the ideas that we would yeah. give. Because you are a former bartender. I know. I just, I need to be more creative. I feel like you need to step up your game. You're doing some great reels for us. Oh, yeah. My I'm, marketing is on point. Yeah. I have a new job in marketing. Mm-hmm. You really, <laughs> you are our social media influencer. I'm proud of you. Yeah. It's going to be great. I think that would be like a good job for me to be an influencer on social media. Really? I it's for staff a lot. Yeah. I I feel like I, I know for a fact that people have reached out and asked you to do stuff like that before too. Yeah, because it's fun. Well, it's fun and you're good at it. I will tell you though, Loretta, she listens and then she watches some of the stuff. She's like, hey, listen, some of these videos that you're doing, they just go too fast. You need to tell who's ever doing that to slow them down. I said, well, that's kind of the point. Yeah. So we need to maybe slow them down just a little bit because she really wants to see what we're talking about and what some of the videos look like. So if we could do that for her, that would yeah. be great. Yeah, I'll make a I'll make a slower one. Huh? I think we're gonna I'm gonna make one just for Loretta. That's good. You know why? Because we believe in differentiation. We do. We differentiate for all of our listeners. We sure do. I know. Speaking of listeners. We have some people that have been writing into the pod. Do you want to maybe talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So we had some people write over the summer to us. Um, we had, should I leave them anonymous or should I yeah, say the name? Yeah, I we'll would. leave them anonymous yeah. just in case because they don't know that we're going to broadcast their stuff. Um, this person wrote into us and was like, what a great dynamic duo you guys are. As mentioned, I've had similar challenges supporting women in a male dominated field, just like education. Um, I will try and listen to all of the rest of your episodes. I have to get my arm around everything you've already discussed already. Lots of thoughts. Congratulations for doing this. And my favorite drink is tequila. Take care and thanks for connecting. And I love the work that you guys are doing. That was great. But that was nice. A tequila drinker. Yeah, I like tequila. So Mm -hmm. I can get, I I mean, there were other things, but that's what stood out to me. Yeah, we've had other people reach out from different states. Like, I just wanted a moment to say thank you for sharing your podcast with the world. It was recommended to me in a Facebook group that I started to binge. I laugh. I nod along as you share your leadership stories and tips with refreshing realness. We really appreciate that. Wow. Right? I just, I cannot believe what you've gotten us into, but here we are. What kind of group chats are we in is what I want to know. Oh, I hope none. <laughs> My goodness. And just the thought that there's Facebook groups out there that are talking about our podcast. And it's also like the time that somebody posted on, uh, I'm still calling it Twitter, that posted on Twitter and said, hey, what are some great education podcasts other than your own that you would recommend? And then when I typed into Google, best education podcast, the first article that popped up when I clicked on it, our podcast was number one. Yeah. And that, that was a freaky day. Yeah. That was a freaky, but that was fun. That was good. It was great. Yeah. You you were surprised when I sent it to you. I did. I was like, who's going to be number one on here? I'm like, oh my gosh, it's us. It's us. So that was fun. It, yeah. So we have a lot going on. One of the things we probably need to talk about from last week's episode oh. was that Joe did a great job. Yeah, he did. We just enjoy him. Now we're going to get Jimmy Casas on the podcast. We're going to get Tom Murray, but we also had our intro talking about teacher requests. <laughs> I'm sure that parents were out there listening like, oh, they're talking about me. me. And even if you don't live in Illinois, because There are a lot of parents that put the teacher request in and sometimes it's after class lists. I know even for my own son that there was an opportunity for his schedule to get changed the day before school started. You know what I said? No, Mm -hmm. I'm not doing that because we've done so much work to have it be that particular schedule, but it's really stressful. It's stressful for parents when the class lists come out and then they think about who's going to be in the class. Is that the right fit? What have I heard about the teacher? So what are some of your secondary thoughts now that that episode has aired? 
my secondary thoughts. Yeah. I'm wondering, honestly, it aired. And then I started laughing to myself because I'm thinking people are going to think I'm talking about them <laughs> and it's nobody. In you specific. weren't. No, no, it's nobody in specific. It's just the theory of not understanding all the work that go, the back work that goes into planning for an educational school year. And mm -hmm. I think it's just because people think, oh, teachers have the summer off. What really happens in the summer when people are, you know, kind of in the office, but kind of not. And I also think that that comes from maybe a lack of trust of thinking that the people that will be with your child actually know them. And mm -hmm. I think that that is a huge piece that we need to work on in education. Like I hear what you're saying. I understand your concerns and I'm going to follow back up with you about these things. Cause I don't want it to be, you know, you're calling out a frustration thinking nobody's going to ever listen to you when you're talking about things that are happening at home with your child or concerns that you have. And I always say the earlier you tell me the better, because that's how, you know, that's how you can help kids in different mm -hmm. situations. If they're struggling to make friends or if they're fighting with a friend, or if they're in a class with somebody that makes them feel uncomfortable, the earlier we can get ahead of that before those lists go out, the better off we'll be. Sure. And kids are kids. And so sometimes we have friendships that mm -hmm. go down a different path and being able to communicate. What I'm hearing you say, though, is from a principal lens, if parents have that thought about their child earlier is always better. And then if something changes, let you know right away. And I'm hearing you from the principal say, I'm going to try to help you. And I don't know that I can help you unless I have the information. Yeah. So yeah, I'm not yeah. a mind reader. I know you're people not... think I have a lot of superpowers, but that's not one of them. I, sometimes I think you're a mind reader. You can read my mind. <laughs> well, yeah, that's because we hang out all the time. That's right. So, like, I don't, you know, so that's just something in and of itself that I was laughing about. It's done. School's already started. Everybody's good. Everybody's happy. And my parents have been great. I really haven't gotten any of that, but I just think that it's something we need to talk about in education and, and let people know that those things do happen, especially parents that are educators, because sometimes I think that's a curse and a blessing because mm -hmm. you know what happens behind the scenes and you have different expectations for your children's teachers or the way the system should be. Or, you know, I'm sure when I have kids, if a principal doesn't reach out to me right away after I send an email, I'm going to be like, what is wrong with them? Because that's what I do. And so that'll be my own struggle. Well, I... Um, when I got my daughter's class uh, and then found out that she had a friend in the class, I emailed the principal. Did I tell you this? I no. didn't tell you this. So I emailed the principal and I said, it just said, thank you in the subject line. Oh, and I said, nice. I just want to say that I'm sure you're being inundated today with parents reaching out to you. Yep. I wanted you to know that I wanted to personally thank you for making sure that my daughter has a familiar face in her class and thank you for the teacher placement because she has the teacher that my son had five years ago in fourth grade, and he's outstanding. So I didn't know any of the teachers, but I trust that she made yeah. a really good match. And she responded back to me and she said, you have no idea how, how much, much I, that email meant. How, You're how probably much the I, only one. I don't think I'm the only one, oh, but I bet. But I just wanted her to know that my I felt like my daughter's in a really great place to start her school year. And yeah. I appreciated it. And I just wanted her to know. That's really nice. Well, I, I she's great. She's yeah, just great. And I feel nice. like she does a great job. And it doesn't matter if we have small buildings or large buildings. It should not matter. Every single child, whether they're in EC or seniors in high school, deserves to have somebody who's looking out for them mm -hmm. and knows who they are, what they need, and how we can appropriately place them. So um, shout out to my daughter's principal. I think she does a great job. Oh, that's really nice. Yeah. You're a good person. No, yeah, you are. Yes. Because you know, when, I'm when just I appreciative. think about how many people have sent me a request mm -hmm. over and over and over again, and then I always try and make it happen. And then very, very seldomly do you hear like, thanks so much. Mm -hmm. Just because it's like, I think, oh, okay. It happened and it's great. And I'm happy. And then it's kind of the end of it. Well, here's a message for our listeners. Then if you're a parent, it doesn't matter if you're an educator or not. If you are a parent, and things are going well at your child's school, please send an email, pick up the phone, do one of those two for the principal, the teacher, someone in the organization that's doing a great job. They need to hear thank you as well. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. That was a good positive message. It really was. Let's talk about the Barbie article and the Barbie movie. Okay. You, you've seen it. I recently have seen it uh, yeah. because you said that I should see it. So I did. And Education Week just pushed out 
an article that says what Barbie teaches us about school leadership, three lessons from the hit movie for closing the dream gap. This was August 15th of 2023. So if you're trying to get your hands on the article, we will make sure that we will link it. But um, tell us a little bit about your thoughts on the Barbie movie. And then let's talk about this article very quickly this morning. Okay. So listen, I absolutely love the Barbie movie. (laughs) I texted Courtney when I left the theater Mm -hmm. and I said, I give it a thousand out of 10. I laughed. I was crying. Mm -hmm. I was like, wow, this is so beautiful. And you know, what's even more interesting is everyone's different take on the movie. Cause you can ask Mm. different people and different people would not agree with me, which is totally fine. Mm -hmm. But I think that the movie does an absolutely a phenomenal job of explaining in its own way, what it's like to be a young girl and having the thought that you can do anything and you haven't seen any of those Um, expectations people have of you or kind of the gates people keep closed that you don't know about. Like when you're young and you're playing with Barbie, you're like, I could be a lawyer. I could be a doctor. I could be the president. I could be a mom. I could be whatever I want to be. And then as you get older and you start to look around and realize that a lot of those positions are filled by males Mm -hmm. and it's not until it's almost too late that you're like, I forgot what that was like when I was young. And I thought really believed that I could do anything. And then as you get older, that kind of diminishes your self-confidence diminishes the way you think the world looks at you is different. So I just thought it was a beautiful movie. And I think if you saw it and you didn't think about those things, totally fine too. But I just think that it was really nicely done. And I laughed. It wasn't like so sentimental where I just felt bad the whole time. I was laughing more than I was crying. I laughed out loud. Yeah. I can't remember the last time that I am laughing out loud in a movie theater, but I did multiple mm-hmm. times and I sobbed like a yes, baby and cried. cried and my daughter's sitting next to me, looking at me. And I could tell she was like, why is she crying? Because yes. the way I looked at that movie was different than yes. others. But this article talks about some things that we could do when we think about education. And the first was they said, uproot the hiring biases. So when filling new positions, every person on a hiring team needs to be aware of their bias and assumption of female leaders and incorrect beliefs about women leaders are still commonly held. Yeah. And sometimes women candidates are often discarded like weird Barbie. Yeah. Like they're too young or they're too old or they have too many kids or they just got married and maybe they're going to have a kid. So we shouldn't hire them. Like those are things that you don't say out loud, but you definitely think in your head. Oh, well, and that goes back to setting that stage and being a great role model in your organization through the hiring practice. The second was providing mentorship support. So once women are given opportunities to lead, they also must Mm -hmm. be given support in their leadership. So it's not just, Hey, go do this, but we're here to be able to help you. Um, and yeah. in this article, it says Mattel hasn't made a school superintendent Barbie, but they totally should. They should. Yeah. Because that is so, and if you think about it, women are less likely to ask for help or say that they're struggling. And so that's even more of a reason I believe that they should be given a strong mentorship. And it doesn't matter how many years you have in education. If you start a new position, you should be given somebody you know, in your organization that you can call for help and not feel bad about. Mm-hmm. The third is create authentic leadership opportunities and that traditional school structures have limited leadership opportunities. So as a result of that, there's fewer opportunities for students to see women leaders. Oh, I really do. I really do believe that when I was younger, I mean, I only had male principals. And Mm -hmm. so I was never like, I want to grow up and be a principal. I was always like, I'm going to grow up and be an eighth grade ELA teacher Mm because I loved my eighth grade ELA teacher. See? Yeah. Well, That is this article. And I think it really is calling attention to some of the things we have to be considering, which is why we are here talking about all of these amazing things on the pod. And I think it's why people are listening because I continuously hear things like, Hey, I was just in a district and there was an instructional coach named Brenda. And she came Mm -hmm. up to me and she said, I'm fangirling right now because I listen to your and Kate's podcast and it just still blows me away. And I always ask people, why are you listening? And I consistently hear we're listening because you guys just put it out there. And as you're talking, I'm driving in my car or I'm working out and I'm talking back to you as if I'm sitting in the room with you. Yeah. And we love that. We do. We do. 
you know who else I love? Laura Hodge. She's one of my teachers in my building and she listens to our podcast and she always tells me, she says, listen, it's like SEL for adults. I listen to it. And she's like, I'm not just saying this because you're my boss. Like I would just tell you if it sucks, which I do believe. And she talks to me all the time about when she'll listen to our podcast and she shakes her head and says, there are so many things about education that need to change. And they just don't because people don't stand up and use their voice. And if you think about it, it's because people are busy and they're tired and they're overwhelmed and they have a lot of things on their plate and they don't want to say the wrong thing, which then gets them in trouble and then leads down a whole different path. But I think that's partly what this podcast is about. Yeah. And you can be the change. I think that's one of the things that the two of us do believe. I don't know that I've always believed that throughout my career, but I believe it now. And you've helped me do that. There's so many great leaders out there that have helped me do that. But that's another reason that we come on here and basically say whatever we want (laughs) to say, (laughs) because it's our show. We can do that. We can do it. And, you know, I think that everything we talk about is always in the best interest of the kids. Yeah. When we think about kids in school, every comment, every decision, every, you know, stance that we've, you know, had different stances on even have been about how do we make school relevant, safe, and engaging for everybody there, not just for kids. Cause we need to do a better job. I think of mm-hmm. empowering our teachers to take creative steps, to regain their confidence, to make steps towards different leadership positions. Because I think too often people are like, here's the status quo and this is safe. So let's stay there. Mm-hmm. And schools need to be fun. Oh, it yes. needs to be fun for kids. It needs to be fun for the adults and it's on leaders and I'm when I'm saying leaders, that's not about the title, right? It's on all of us to try to create that environment, but to also be direct and honest, which is why today we have a repeat guest. We do. Can you believe it? This is our first repeat guest, but we have the powerhouse as we love to call yes. her Sarah Bocek. As we know, she is an attorney. She owns her own firm. She's a partner um, with Darcy Crea. So she owns Crea Bocek. And an incredible law firm here in Illinois. But Sarah really is, uh, she's a keynote speaker. She's a mom. And if you know her, we consider her to be a powerhouse. And she had reached out to me about the idea of the cost of leadership Mm. and how sometimes leadership is looked at in all of these amazing ways, but there are costs associated with it. And so we're going to talk about that today on the pod. Yeah. It's something people don't like to talk about, but we're here to just let it out. Yeah. Why not? (laughs) So before we get to Sarah, as you know, we love our sparkle sister. So let's hear from Dr. Bhavna Sharma Lewis with today's Sparkle Spotlight. Hi everyone. This is Bhavna Sharma Lewis with today's Sparkle Spotlight. What turned your world upside down? And more importantly, how did you recover? As many of you know my story, my sparkle and success has come through some of the struggles and shame that I've dealt with in my professional life. The shame, humiliation, and embarrassment of living out publicly a toxic and hostile work relationship with my board of education and then being publicly fired at a board meeting. All of it caught on tape and video. After 10 years of reflection and healing, I have finally gotten to the point to firmly believe that these steps were chosen for me on my life's journey. Instead of asking myself, why did this happen to me? I now say to myself, this happened for me. I can't tell you how many times after I share my story or present publicly that people come up to me and say, thank you. Thank you for sharing your struggles and your shame. It's given me courage and hope. I've had similar experiences and I feel so much comfort knowing that I'm not alone. I am proud and humbled to say that my story has become a survival guide for others who are struggling. Maybe not in the exact same way, but just struggling. Think back to something that turned your life upside down. Or maybe you're in a situation right now that's a challenge or a struggle and you seem hopeless and that there's no way out. Say to yourself, this is happening for me. The comeback will be stronger than my setback and I will recover. I will rebuild and I will be able to retell this story so that others have another successful survival guide to learn from. Remember, our steps are chosen for us. Learn from them, grow from them, draw strength from them, and sparkle on. 
All right, everybody, we are back. We have a special guest. You might have remembered her. She's a powerhouse. She is an attorney. She is none other than Sarah Bocek. We we love that. Guess what? We called you a powerhouse about 50 times in your previous episode. Then during our book, we reference you. And as we just shared offline, you are a repeat performance for us on this podcast, Sarah. Welcome to welcome back to unsupervised yeah. leadership. I'm so excited. I um I actually it's I'm truly that's a true honor actually uh, to even be considered to come back. So um, I'm excited. I'm excited to talk about our topic today. Yeah. Me too. Well, Kate, as I told you, Sarah had reached out to me. And she was like, Hey, have you thought about this particular topic when it comes to your next season of the podcast? And the idea is about the cost of leadership. So before we turn it over to Sarah, what is your initial response when I say to you, the cost of leadership? Are you asking me or Sarah, our special guest? Oh, me. Okay. Listen, I, I think a lot of these things, and I'm going to reference the Barbie movie right now because it's really big. Everybody knows if you haven't seen it, you should go watch it. But I think that it is perfect timing right now to talk about women in education and leadership positions and the internal struggle. I think we all feel on, you know, do you take the next step towards leadership, but are you giving up something at home? And what does that look like? How do we better support each other? How do we find supervisors, careers, places that will help us to be our best versions of ourselves and not feel so damn bad about it? Isn't that right, Sarah? It is. And I mean, and that is really, I mean, in full disclosure, like it's, it's actually the monologue that is getting, it's all over TikTok. It's all over Twitter. It's all over everywhere, right. That America, you know, had, had referenced of this whole notion of like, it is really hard. And she was explaining to Barbie, like, it's impossible to be a woman, um, in and, and meet everybody's expectations. And I, I actually reposted that and I've actually thought about it and I've gone back and I've I've read over that monologue over and over and over and thought, this is my life. Like she just said, this is my life and I can't be the only one. And so that's what I reached out. And I'm not even sure when I think of cost of leadership, I don't, yes, I, I think I feel it more as a woman, like my gender, like my identity as a woman, like a leader in like being a woman and a leader. But I, what I meant when I reached out also to Courtney in talking about the cost of leadership is that nine out of 10 times, even the best leaders talk about what a privilege it is to be a leader, right? Like when you get to be called things like, and I don't know if I agree with you on powerhouse and different things like that, but like when you get to be known and introduced as this is a leader in education, or this is a leader in school law, or this is a leader that is, you know, is transforming the work that she has chosen to be in you can't help but be like, that's so like, that's, that's what I wanted to be. I've always wanted to be a leader, but that has come at a really, really pricey cost. And what I said to, to Courtney is that we don't talk about that and we don't allow it to stay in the same space together. It's not, it's not a, but it's an, and right. And you can be a really amazing leader and it's going there's a struggle and a cost that's associated with it. And I think by reaching out to Courtney was like, how do we humanize the cost, right? Like how, like what, we don't ask about that. Like we shy away from that. Like Kate, you and I just talked offline. Like you don't want to ask those questions because maybe you don't want to know the answers, but maybe if we asked them and we had the answers, then they wouldn't be as scary. Right. You know, and so that's kind of like some of my work too, and like suicide prevention and different things like that is like one of the biggest walks nationwide is like coming out of the darkness. The more we talk about the stigma of different things, the less we have an issue with it. You know, my kids are going through some trauma right now. And like, you know, I was talking to my son, he's 14, he's gonna be a freshman, and he's like, Mom, this is just hard stuff. And I was like, It is. I said, But what have I always told you about hard stuff? And he's like, We can't go above it. We can't go underneath it. We can't go around it. I said, what do we have to do? We have to go right through it. And so that's why I reached out to Courtney. That's, I, I, I would love, especially the, three, the two of us to have this amazing dialogue about like, what is the cost of leadership? Like, what does it cost? Yeah. 
because I think it's something like you said, it's in the back of everybody's mind. Like before, yes, they see the, you're a leader, you're great. You're getting all this recognition in the workforce, but like there is that underlying current that people I think are afraid to have conversations of, you know, how did this affect your family? How does this affect your home life? How does this affect your personal decisions? Um, and I, I think COVID helped to start some of that conversation because people got to see people at home for the first time ever. Right. And then it was like, oh, maybe it's not so awkward to talk about this. And then it's like, we came back, things got back to normal and people quickly forgot about the like work home life balance and things that we did that could help open up some of those, um, opportunities for people, right? Like working from home, being flexible. So Sarah, you kind of shared a little bit about this, but can you maybe tell our listeners some ideas or some things that now retrospectively you're thinking, maybe if we started having these conversations or doing more of this in the workplace that would help support us. Do you have any ideas about that? You know, I do. I I think the very first thing I feel is like, can we name it, right? What are those costs? Like, what is the trade-offs? What are we willing to do and what we aren't willing to do? Like, what, what are we willing to sacrifice for the next thing? You know, it is not a secret. I have talked about when I was building my law practice and when I took the job at IASA, which was probably one of the best jobs in the whole wide world, right? Um, But Ainsley was only like six months old. Like I had had our first child. Um, I had gotten the opportunity of really of my career Um, and it would take me on the road. I mean, at the height, I was traveling 60% of the time, which Courtney can relate to. And we can talk about that. Um, I had a full-time nanny. Um, at the beginning, I was taking Ainsley to my mom's on the way down, which Courtney can also relate to, right? Like my, my parents were in central Illinois. And so a lot of my work was in central Illinois and downstate. So I would literally pack up, you know, my six month old, I would feed her, you know what I mean? Cause I was still feeding her. I was still breastfeeding and I would take her and I would pack up everything with it, like the pump and the milk and the thing and the thing and the pack and play and all of that. And I would literally, you'd get an hour down you know, hour and a half to my parents, I'd spend enough time to make sure she was all settled. You know, I love my mom dearly, but she'd be like, Oh, Ainsley doesn't have the right socks on. We'll have to get you right socks. Right. You're now you're like, okay, now I'm a horrible mom. See you later. <laughs> uh, you know, but you know, that was at that time, leadership to me is sort of like this, I don't want to call it a disease, right? Like that's not it. Like it, it's, it's like a thing you, it's like, it's like, once it's in you, you can't quiet it. Like you can't make it go away. You can't will it away. You can't wish it away. And so you become it, right? Because it's a drive. It's an internal drive. And I think the moment you try to push it down, you also sacrifice yourself and then you become someone you're not, right? And I've done that throughout the years too. Um, But that cost, right? I wanted to build my career. I didn't want to stay home. I actually think stay-at-home moms are the most amazing human beings in the whole wide world. And I would be terrible at it, like absolutely terrible at it. And during COVID, I begged people to like wear masks and do whatever you needed to do. So COVID would get over because I needed to go back to work and, and, and any, but you know, but that came at a cost. It came at a cost to my marriage. It came at the cost of friendships. It came at the cost of a lot of things that I could look back on and think that had I made different choices, would I have still made them? I don't know. But would I have been educated if somebody would have said, we need to talk about this first, right? Like I was just so excited that it didn't matter. Like I remember, I mean, this is the ugly part of raising kids and little kids is that I remember coming home once and the kids were happy and they were playing. But Matt had them in some god awful outfits, right? They they like the snaps weren't snapped, and there was food all over their faces. And like, you know what the first reaction was? Instead of getting on the floor and playing with them, the thought that went through my head was, if anyone saw them, they would think I'm the worst mom in the whole wide world. And I just started cleaning them up as fast as I could. And Matt was like, "What are you doing?" Like they were having the best time, and I was like, "Matt, you have to like make sure their clothes match." And he's like why we didn't leave the house. Right. And so again, I give you that as an example of like, here, I hadn't been home in five days. 
I had, you know, a three-year-old and a one-year-old, and I'm more worried about the public perception of what people are going to think about of who I work instead of saying thank you to Matt and thank you. You know what I mean? Are my kids are happy and healthy and well-adjusted and they're on the floor and they're dirty. Okay. But I wouldn't have been in a space to do that 16 years, you know, 16 years ago to have that conversation. I mean, there's no way. I mean, that is, that is growth. And that is actually digging deep into the cost of leadership because for me, the biggest cost of leadership has always been the sacrifice I made to my personal side. And, and there was a sacrifice. And um, I think it's made my kids stronger now that they're 16, 14, and 11. Um, but there was a time where I was like, would Annie Grace, who's my youngest, who's 11, would she have gone with our, her nanny or would she have ran to me? Right? Like there was a time you know, when she was two, three years old, that I'm not sure the answer. And I think for me to even come on this podcast that it's national and everybody's going to listen, that that's really scary also to be judged by that. But again, that's my cost, but you could, there's other costs, right? Like how you, how you deal with pressure. There are people who deal with pressure a lot of different ways, right? Some are healthy, some are not so healthy. Um, how do you deal with stress? Right. Yeah. I tended to eat when I was really stressed. All right. Rich Volts tended to run. Which one was better? Right. (laughs) Well, I'll tell you, I always take the eating and and drinking a component on that one, Sarah, as you know, but, but listen, when I hear you talking about that, there's so many things that come to my mind. Number one is this idea and you're an attorney, so I can say this, but when we really think about humanizing stuff, remember when you were on the first time you were talking about humanizing the superintendency, is there a way that we can humanize this? And we've got to think of, you know, it's not a balance because Rich Voltz would never say balance. PJ Capozzi wouldn't say balance. They would say fit integration, which we all agree with, but it calls to the attention that when we interview people and when we get to know people, we are also as leaders conditioned not to ask them about the personal side because of HR personnel, potential legal implications of that. But the fact is, if we're going in and we are a mom or we're maybe thinking about becoming a mom, I can't tell you how many women have reached out to me and been like, I don't know that I can actually do a leadership role or get into an assistant principalship, move into a director role, move into this different role, because I'm thinking about either A, getting married, B, starting a family. And as leaders, though, we really don't and aren't able to create a space to ask those questions to get to the heart of it. And so how do we balance legal implications to being able to humanize opportunities for people like you're talking about? That's what I that's my first thing. And then I have another thing that I do want to ask you about that I was thinking. Go ahead. I mean, I think in those situations, I think that you have to be careful, right? You obviously can't ask things like, um, are you pregnant or do you plan on getting pregnant? Or you can't ask like, you know, do you have a disability? And, you know, those blatant ones, um, you know, I think people get really scared of anxiety and depression and, you know, being on something like maybe being on a Wellbutrin or being on, you know, something like that, that's scary to people. I know people that are very, very successful that have a medical marijuana card um, that literally it manages their anxiety. You, we really can't ask about that. And that is actually a super conundrum in schools right now because of the federal laws on that, um, that, you know, all schools are drug-free zone, right? So I think there are people who hide it. Um, and so I do think there's a push pull, but I actually would really, and obviously from a legal standpoint, I'm telling you all the things you cannot ask, but what I think though, is in all of that, and this is where I'm going to tie it to education. I just gave a couple back to school speeches on this is that the number one indicator of student success. Like if you look at all of the research, if you look at all of, you know, the PJs of the world and the riches of the world and the Hamish, you know what I mean? Did you know last week, by the way, Courtney, that I was um, bouncing back and forth? Like I was giving a keynote in one and Hamish was in another. And then we flip flop. That is the worst to follow someone like him. Like what? (laughs) Like that was terrible. Anyway, but what I was saying to someone is that 
the number one indicator of student success. And I would actually argue the number one indicator of any success in a corporate, like a corporate setting or an educational setting or a hospital setting or name it, right, is culture and climate. And I think that's how you can get to it is how do you see yourself integrating into this culture and climate? And what do you believe the stumbling blocks are to you being part of this culture and climate, right? So that's a lot different than, you know, do you have a mental illness? You know what I mean? Or like, do you have anxiety or do you have this or do you have all of that? But it's, it's normalizing, you know, and what I have found is the most amazing leadership conversations I've had on the dark side of leadership is when I've been vulnerable enough. And we talked about this in the last podcast too, to say things like there are times where I'm anxious. There are times that um, there's trauma. There is those things. And then people can open up to it, but it's really from, I would actually go from a non-legal lens and go around it with the culture and climate and see what kind of pieces you can get out. Cause people tend to share when they feel close to you, they tend to open up. And nine out of 10 times, it's not insurmountable. It just needs to understand that there's a cost associated it. It's an, and not a, but I mean, I, yeah, yeah, I see that. And, and I'm also thinking before you even get the opportunity to really know people, even in an interview setting, you can ask questions like, what are the things that are most important to you in the world, in your life? Tell me a little bit about you outside of the profession. You know, we have to also be able to get to know people if you're going to hone in on that culture and climate. The other question, then I'll turn it over to Kate, because I know she's wondering a few things too. The other question that I have is in 2023, Mm -hmm. after COVID, um, there is a women in the workplace study done in 2022. It was like 400,000 plus women in the workplace. So it's a corporate America type of um, survey poll that they did, that they got really great information. But through that, there were, there were different statistics, but one of them was about remote work and women working remotely. Do you have a philosophy on that about women in the workplace, women working remotely? Do you think that that feeds into some of the climate and culture pieces? Cause this survey had some really enlightening things in it, but I'm just curious as to what your take is on that. I actually think, um, I would love to see that study. Actually, I have not seen it, but what I would love to understand too, is where was the study taking place? Like, was it in the United States? Was it, was it an, was it an international? Because I actually think the United States is pretty, um, can I say piss poor? If not, you can edit that out. But like, I think we are sort of piss poor in the ability of like being okay, especially women, but I would say men too that like when their kids are sitting on their laps, there's a very famous, I can't remember if it was Germany or it was somewhere in the UN, but she was speaking on a very prominent national, you know what I mean? Political or, you know, stage. And her child was on her lap. She was taking votes with her child on her lap. And it was completely acceptable to like, and our mass media made it out to be something completely different. Right. So when you're talking about flexibility in the workplace, I absolutely, I was raised right corporately in a situation where I was given an expectation and it, and and I was told while you have to make sure you're present, I just want you to get your job done. And I'm hiring you to do a job and get the job done where you do it. There are times and places you have to be present, but there are also times and places that you can um, engage in some flexibility. And so given that freedom, I was able to be able to balance a little bit more as the kids got older. Okay. And so when you're given that freedom of flexibility, where I think this is a real bad rub in education right now, is that teachers have never even understood what flexibility in the workplace was. Think about it, right? Until COVID. Like you wouldn't have had a teacher who have ever thought really, I mean, maybe they would run to Walgreens at lunch, but like would never think that they could put a load of laundry in while teaching ELA, right? Like when they were remote, we were able to take like what a two minute, you know, brain break or whatever that was and say, okay, guys, you guys are all going to be at your desks right now. And you guys are going to be doing these prompts and this is what you're going to do. And the next thing you know, the teacher has like 
taken that moment, right? It's a two minute moment. Nothing was going on. Everything was okay. The kids were prompted just like it would have been in the classroom. But what did that teacher go do? That teacher went and changed her laundry and it changed her life because she was doing, it freed up the night. Now, again, that is radical for education, right? That is, that was a radical moment in all education, but now the pandemic after the pandemic, which is also part of my back to school speech right now, is the pandemic after the pandemic is not what, and, and it was so fascinating. The doctor who was one of the leading doctors in all of this said this very early on in COVID, that the pandemic after the pandemic is not going to be learning loss. It is going to be the loss of social maturation. And honestly, I'm going to take that a step further, is that it's it's that loss coupled with the the way in which education changed that now we're doing everything we can to go back how we were before and people like you've got naughty employees that aren't happy in the workplace and they're not happy in the workplace because they're burnt out and we could give them all the lists of why they're burnt out mandates da 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 da, da, da. but i think there is a direct correlation with understanding that there is a different way that we could have done this. And now we're going back to the other way. And I'm not happy with that anymore. And I don't understand how it's going to fit in. And it doesn't mean the same thing to me anymore because I had this life altering event and I saw that I could do it differently. And I think if we don't get in front of that as a leader, we are going to have problems. Like I think Kate as a building principal, like I think you're walking into a school year where people didn't want to come back. I think people are burnt out. I think they love education. I think they love children. I think that mass media has made it very difficult to be a teacher. I think that life has made it very difficult to be a teacher. I think people like those two years that we weren't in COVID that we didn't do a whole lot, which was actually good for us. But now we're doing so much that we are like trying to pack everything on, you know, if, if it ever happened again. But what's happening is that rat race is rat race on crack coupled with the fact that we know what it was like to have flexibility. Now we have none. And by the way, your kids are experiencing horrific behaviors because they're two years behind where they were supposed to be social, like from a social maturation standpoint, right? The high schools are literally like, what are you sending us? <laughs> like, and the junior highs are like, what are you sending us? And the kindergartners, I mean, we have kindergartners who can, who can't sit in their seat. Like they don't have baseline attention issues. And you know, guys, we could go all the way around this on leadership. Like, you know, should we be cutting out social media and should we be cutting out the technology? And should we be like, have we gone too far in the pendulum? Like all of that, I mean, all of that goes back to Courtney's question of should there be more flexibility in the workplace and do we need to explore that? I think the answer is yes. I actually think the next generation is going to demand it. I think that if we don't change education, which is what the three of us are in all the time, if we don't figure out a way to bridge that gap, we're going to have an even bigger teacher shortage. Oh, yeah. And I think that as people can make more money doing other things, like think about it, like my daughter is now aspiring to be a social media marketer, right? Not so much an influencer, but actually taking that like business standpoint and doing something completely different that wasn't even in existence five, seven, you know what I mean? Five years ago. Right. And so like, again, this is random thoughts and all of this kind of stuff, but the, 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 I think we have a problem and I, we do. I, I think we're going to, and I know this sounds weird, but to me, to circle back to the cost of leadership, people are not going to think the cost is worth it because they can't have the flexibility and they can't, you know what I mean? And they're being put and boxed into a situation where they can't, they can't be something bigger than they want it. I, I, you guys get where I'm going here. Like I think yeah. okay, gonna, so people are going to push back on it. They are, but here's a really good question. So in that same study that Courtney talked about that we referenced before, they had another statistic that said, especially females, they look at their female supervisors. So if they have, you know, a female principal or um, even not in education in other realms, they look to see their leaders work-life balance to determine if they're ever going to take the initial step into leadership. 
So after I read that and really thought about it and we had talked about it in the book and we had talked about it just in general, I'm always so conscious because I think we're conditioned. I know I was when people would be like, oh, how's it going? Especially during COVID. I'd be like, oh my God, don't talk to me. I can't, I've gotten four hours of sleep. I've got 700 emails. I need to be left alone. And then after I read that, I started thinking about all of these people who have really good ideas that are like from a different generation that might be able to change things. Like I think about it as it's my responsibility and I have such a power to just influence them in a positive way to be like, you know what? I I didn't get to go home this week and see my husband and it really sucked. And my dog is sick and I got to take him to the vet and I wish I got paid more and I spilt my Starbucks and I hate everybody. And I'm being honest. And like, but before the pandemic, I don't think I would have done that because I think it was just a conditional moment for me to be like, ah, it sucks. It's good. I got it. And I'm going to keep going. And I think that that's where we have a, a really easy start or not an easy start, but an easy way segue into helping people. So like hearing your story, talking about this, like for all of those people, especially females out there right now, they're like, I want to go be an attorney, but I'm never going to be home. And I'm going to care that my kid's socks don't match. Okay. Like that's a problem for me. And what if I miss their first step? And what if my mom, you know, takes them to their first day of kindergarten. But I think you coming on here saying, I did this and I didn't, I wasn't open about it before, but now I think we should be, I think is such a powerful message. So knowing that, is there anything that you're like, I think if we start doing this now, we can change leadership from 2023 on, which is a loaded question again. Sorry. No, because as you were talking, I I thought like, how cool would it be to be in your building, right? Like how cool would it be to have the, you know, to have a leader who is willing to be, and I, and I, I you know, I said this on my last podcast too. So somebody's going to go back and be just going to repeat her. Um, but like, it's that vulnerability. And I, and I think that, I'm going to, I'm going to dare say something too, that I think that it doesn't matter if your boss is a, or your supervisor is a woman or a man, but I will tell you, I had the best male supervisors ever, but I wanted to be tough and I didn't want them to ever see that there was a problem. And I'm going to tell you that I had a moment in my life that we have talked about, you know, privately, but that where I had something pretty blow up and you know what I mean? Personally. And I had no other choice, none, no other choice than to go to my, my male supervisor and be vulnerable. And that I think was a turning point also in the freedom to just have to say, I can't do this right now. And I have to fix what needs to be fixed And that supervisor literally looking at me and saying, how can I help you? How can I help you? Because I need you to be back at a hundred percent, but you are not at a hundred percent. So let's get you there. Okay. And so I think if we did a lot more of that, right. And, and, and that's why I don't ever want it to be like gender focused because that was actually a male. Right. But I also think that I had to be strong enough in my own skill set to say that I'll be back, but I need a moment. Okay. So that's the first thing, right? Is, is modeling the behavior, which is what you kind of said, Kate, is that modeling. But the second is, is not taking it as it's such a dig that, that you can't do it. Right. Like that's the self-shaming part of it as leaders. That's the cost like that, but you have to then model it to the people below you. Mm -hmm. And then sometimes you just have to get out of your own way. And I think this is where you go gender that it's a problem. Like, I think we've talked about this. Like, I think women are terrible to women. Um, but I think if you really want to know how it changes is that there's more people like you, Kate, and there's more people, you know, that eventually will come up through that aren't going to play that same game. Like it's not, it guys, like it is proven time and time again. And we keep doing, we don't do it in education. It is proven time and time and time again. If you build a family, if you make it fun, if you do all of those things, kids will learn. Like, look at the schools that have zero money, but they have a lot of love and you don't have teacher retention problems. You don't, I mean, these teachers are making next to nothing hardly, but they are satisfactorily fulfilled in what they're doing and they have a balance and they love those kiddos and those kiddos have, have like security and structure, which is what we absolutely know that kids have to have, which was what they didn't have in COVID. And those 
academic successes are through the roof. And that is because someone in the leadership role was okay with not doing it the status quo. And Mm -hmm. I also think that like we don't, we can't be the same status quo. We can't create another generations of leaders where we don't talk about the cost of leadership and be okay with the cost of leadership. So like, I didn't want to come on here. I was even scared when I said to, 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 to Courtney, like, I don't want to be a double Debbie Downer here. Like, it's not that I would ever give up being a leader. I couldn't, if I tried, I would be a miserable person. And I think I could have learned lessons a lot quicker and easier and not taken the hard road had I had someone that could have a more robust conversation that it can be an and not a but. Mm, I love that. Okay. Powerhouse. I'm going to take it home now. Before we got on here, we were talking offline about Sandy Brown. You know, I love Sandy Brown. I I run from Sandy Brown and we would both run from Sandy Brown because we, we love her so much, but we also know her. So we had her on the podcast and Sarah, this is what she said. She said that we should own our own choices. We should not look back. We should only look forward. Whatever decision that we make, we should not feel guilty about it. We should figure out what we want to do, do it and own it. I think her exact uh, phraseology was, if I make a decision, I'm going to feel guilty about it. I just simply don't do it. And then every decision that I make, I'm owning my decision. In one sentence, I want you to align the concept of what she told us and align it to the cost of leadership. Go. The cost of leadership means making decisions that will come at a cost, but not so high of a cost that it's not worth doing. It's just important to understand there's a cost. Wow. That was hot. Drop it like yeah, it's hot. That was it. good, girl. I loved yeah. it. I was, I don't yeah. know if it made sense. When you go back and listen to it after we re-record it, you're probably like, I think that didn't make sense, but it's no, not. I think it, it, I no, think I think it, it was did. great. Yeah, yeah. I love that. Listen, should- Sarah, thank you for being a, a repeat on unsupervised leadership. This was great. Wasn't it, Kate? Hey, it was. You should have said PS. It should be an and and not a but. Love that. Right. I think that's a really good quote. I'm about to put that on there. People are going to be like, what kind of clickbait is this? An and and not a but. Right. And you're like, but. Yeah, but what? Um, Well, you guys are like, hey, you know, I won't get the opportunity to do this again. Like, I mean, uh, the opportunity to say this um, again, hope, well, maybe I'll be back, but um, you guys are doing really good work. And um, I really hope that you take a moment to celebrate what you're doing and the doors that you're opening. And I watch all the comments come in and I see the successes and I just want to let you know it matters to people like me, right? Like it matters even to the, to the leaders who have been able to forge some different paths than other people, like you are being watched. And, and that's what's amazing because it also gives me the courage to send Courtney a text and says, hey, can we talk about this? Because I think it's really important. And that you're giving people the avenue to be even better than they were. Like, it's okay to be an unsupervised leader, right? Like, it's okay to, it's okay. And we can accept it. And it's okay for Sandy Brown. I'm scared of her, but um, only because she sees right through you to your soul. And she's like, you have to do something different. You're like, Um, but I just want to say thank you. I want to say thank you. I admire both of you deeply. Um, I am huge fans of the two of you um, and of the podcast. So please don't stop. Please keep going um, because I do believe that you guys are making a huge difference and you are literally opening pathways for a new type of leadership that is so desperately needed um, in the field. So thank you from the bottom of my heart. Thank you. We'll celebrate with you over drinks soon. Captain and Coke still, folks. Captain and Coke. There you go. There you go. Kate? Go ahead and take us out. All right, everybody. You're welcome, number one, that we brought Sarah back so you could hear her very vulnerable, very human side. We're proud of you. We love you, Sarah. And everybody out there, it's an and, it's not a but. So if you don't have a seat at the table, you can always sit with us. Until next time.